just come before you. We thank you for you this evening. We thank you for your word. We ask you to guide and lead us as we look at your word. Show us what you would have us to see from it and, and help us in this study. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, Isaiah chapter 51. We're at verse 17 as we go forward in here. We've been talking about how the righteous would be exalted and the certainty of our salvation. So at verse 17 it says, Awake, awake, stand up, O Jerusalem, which has drunk at the hand of the Lord the cup of his fury. You have drunk the dregs of the cup of trembling and wrung them out. There is none to guide her among all the sons whom she hath brought forth. Neither is there any that takes her by the hand of all the sons that she has brought up. These two things are coming to you. Who shall be sorry for you? Desolation and destruction and the famine and the sword. By whom shall I comfort you? Your sons have fainted. They lie at the head of all the streets as a wild bull in a net. They are full of fury of the Lord and the rebuke of your God. Therefore, hear now this, you afflicted and drunken, but not with wine. Thus saith the Lord your God, the, the Lord and your God that pleads the case of his people. Behold, I have taken out of your hand the cup of trembling, even the dregs of the cup of my fury, you shall no more drink it again, but I will put into your hand of them that afflict you, which you, which have said to your soul, bow down that we may go over, and you have laid your body as on the ground and as on the street to them that went over. So we look at here, and God is really rebuking his people and encouraging them at the same, in the same statement. First he says, awake, awake, and he repeats it. All right, which we've talked about in the past. If something's repeated, it's pay attention to. If it's a threefold one, which there's not a whole lot of them in the Bible, it's, God is really speaking, pay attention. Pay attention, as in Isaiah 6, when he said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. And there's only like three or four of those statements where it's three words emphasized. There's a lot of them doubled. All right, especially in Isaiah. Isaiah likes to double his word. But he says, awake, awake, arouse yourself, get up. And I love it because it's more than just waking up because the word literally means arouse yourself, get aware of what's going on. How many times have you maybe been awake but not really awake? You know, and this word is much stronger. It is get up, <laughs> okay, get up. And it says, then if that wasn't enough, he says, stand up. <laughs> All right, which so he's, he's really being specific here. Arouse yourself, get up, wake up. You that have drunk at the hand of the Lord the cup of his fury. When we disobey God at some point, when especially if we're his children, his people, he will send his fury upon us and his punishment upon us. You know, he first gives us an opportunity to respond gently. You know, just as he did with Adam and Eve, they, they sinned and he came into the garden and he goes, Adam, where are you? They had an opportunity to be able to confess. And, there, and the consequences, if they had confessed, probably would have been less than if they had just had to have it wrung out of them. Okay, as my dad used to tell me, you know, just tell me what's going on and, the, and the, you're still going to get punished, but it's going to be less punishment than if I have to sit there and get you to admit what you've done. And the punishment was worse. And we all tend to do that. If you're in charge of things people, you, and people admit what they've done, there's probably consequences and you're going to pay, they're going to pay a, a price. 
But if they're upfront, they admit what they've done, you have a lot more leniency on them rather than, okay, now I found out about it. It's been 24 hours, 36 hours, five weeks, and now I found out what you've done. We've got a problem now. Okay, if you'd have just come to me and said, I made a mistake and admitted it, okay, yeah, we, we'll correct the mistake, you know, we'll take some, some corrective actions, and this is what God's saying. He says, you were so bad you drank the fury. And Isaiah's talking to a people that are getting ready to go into captivity because of their sin. They have been rejecting God over and over and over again, and they're at a place where they're going to be judged and sent into captivity. The northern kingdom, Israel, has already gone into captivity. They're in Assyria in captivity. Isaiah is ministering to the southern kingdom, Judah. And Judah has been misbehaving and not behaving correctly. And they're getting ready to go into captivity as well. They're not going to go into captivity in Isaiah's day, but they're, they're very close. They go in right after he's done preaching to them. And he says, wake up. Wake up. You've seen God's judgment. And, you know, some of the times we have to tell ourselves, wake up. <laughs> what am I going through? I'm going through God's judgment. Now, that doesn't mean that everything that bad, that, that's bad happens to us because of judgment. But we do need to look at it. One of the things we do need to look at when things are going bad, God, is this judgment? Are you taking me to task for something I have done? Is there sin in my life that I've not you know, confessed? That's our first statement. Now, again, I keep saying this. Don't look too hard and don't get introspective because we all have sin. We can all find reasons why God would be making everything that happened to us be judgment, and most of it is not. Okay? He is gracious. He loves us. But he does discipline. And he says, You have had my fury. You have drunk the dregs of the cup of trembling, the, the bottom of the barrel. Okay? And we don't really know of in our day, but when they had the casks of wine and everything, you couldn't shake them up, and you get down to the bottom, and they hadn't sifted and, and, and filtered it, and you'd end up with the, uh, the dregs. All the, the, it really wasn't the best wine at all. It, it, you could almost chew it, <laughs> okay, because it got that bad. <laughs> you know, and you're going, you have taken it literally, my fury, all the way to the bottom of the, of the barrel and without response. And he goes, I started lightly. I started touching you carefully, and they, but you had, you had to have me take it all the way to the bottom of the barrel, and you still haven't responded. Okay, this is a pretty serious charge by God. He is saying, I've come in, and then not only did they have that, he says, you wrung him out. <laughs> okay, you, you got to the drag, you got to the bottom of the barrel, and then you emptied the barrel completely. You, you totally emptied this barrel. These people are not good people at the moment. <laughs> they're not listening to God. They're, they're real close to that point where, where we're told in the New Testament there is a sin unto death. If somebody wants to keep sinning, keep sinning, keep sinning, keep sinning, and they're God's child... There comes a point where he says, okay, you're not responding. You're, you won't respond. I've given you however many chances. He goes, fine, I'm just going to take you home. I'm not going to let you keep dragging my name through the, through the mud and drag it through the mud and drag it through the mud. He goes, at some point, he says, enough is enough. 
you haven't repented, you don't seem to repent, I've given you, you know, X number of chances to repent and you haven't. I've come to the bottom of it. You, you, you didn't just drink through the bottom of it. You emptied it. You know, and God says, now it's time to come home. In this case, he sends Israel into captivity. All right. This is how bad they are. This is a painted picture of how bad they are. Not only did you just start drinking it, you drank it down to the part where it was no longer any good. And then if that wasn't enough, you emptied it out and rang out the, the pulp and got some more out of it. <laughs> okay. This is a pretty serious picture that he's painting. All right. And then he goes in verse 18, there is none to guide her among all of her sons whom she has brought forth. Neither is there any that takes her by the hand of all the sons that she has brought up. So he says, even your descendants, even your children are not coming to your aid because they are not good either. All right. They have slipped. They have gone the wrong way. You know, all of us hope that someday our children can take care of us when we get old and not, not able to do things. And this is what he's saying. You're to a point where you can't help yourself and not even your children are able to come to your aid because they're so bad. All right. And this is the seriousness of our life. We hope that we have discipled people enough to be able to come to aid. We hope that our children have been discipled enough to come to aid. But he's saying you have been so bad that not even your children are good. You know, you're drinking, you're drinking of all of this, but you set them up for failure as well. And this is a serious uh, accusation that he's making to them. You haven't done well anywhere. And we look at this and say, God, don't let it be me, number one. <laughs> you know, God, I want to raise up disciples that follow you. I want to raise up my children that they follow you. I want to be the example of righteousness. Now, whether they do or not, not my business. My job is to be the example. My job as a pastor is to teach the church and be an example in the way I live as well to follow God. Same thing with my family and my children. I was, my job was and, was and is to teach them how to walk with God and follow God. And so that when things go wrong, there's help. One of the great things when things go wrong and we're in sorrow and pain is when other people can walk up to us and say, let me just help you. Let me walk with you. And sometimes all we can do when we walk with them is hold them and cry with them. You know, we don't know what they're going through. We don't know how to fix what they're going through. We just say, God loves you and let me just, oh, I'll carry you if I need to, but we're going to go to the finish line. Remember several, several Olympics ago when one of the runners you know, collapsed on the, on the run and his father actually came out and everybody tried to stop him and his father lifted him up and walked him to the finish line so that he could finish the race. And that was unofficial, of course, but it was like, no, you're going to finish this race. I'm going to help you finish this race. And that's what we all kind of want in our life. People who will gather around us and say, it may not count for anything, but I'm going to help you finish this race and not criticize, not destroy, not tear down. And this is something that's very important for us as Christians, that we lift one another up and help each other. When people are down, we reach out to them and say, here, just take my hand. I'll drag you if I have to. I'll carry you if I have to. We'll get three or four people and we'll make a stretcher and carry you if we need to. You know, and this is the important thing. This is the body. When Jesus said, you will know you're my disciples by their love one for another. 
And that is really what sets Christians apart from every other group. People have an affinity toward each other. They like each other as long as everybody's working to the same direction and, and cooperating. But you know, for us as the church, we'd recognize that we're all sinners. You know, we're all sinners. We can't really afford to be judging anybody else because if we really look at our life, we really look at our life, and no matter how good we might look to other people, we're not good. You know, and we know we're not good if we really look at it and we, and we start adding God's way of looking at it. Okay? When I think I'm doing good and God starts showing me how he sees me if he was to see me, and I go, oh, well, okay, God, I'm really glad I'm under the blood of Jesus Christ and you're not seeing me as I really am. But, you know, if we start really seeing ourselves the way God sees us, that should flow out to us treating and seeing others the way that God sees them. And that's why God starts with us. I want you to see yourself, God says, I want you to see yourself the way I see you. Not the way you think I see you. Because when Jesus shed his blood, he covered us with the blood of his righteousness and we're clothed in his righteousness. And we walk in the finished work of Christ clothed in righteousness. We need to treat each other in just that same way. We don't walk by sight. I see all the bad that people do, and I can't be saying, well, you know, wow, they're, they're a really terrible person. Because that is not how God sees them. That is how Satan wants us to see them. That's how Satan wants you to see yourself. Satan is always out there reminding us how bad we are. Okay? He's always there knocking on the door, reminding us about all the things we did, thought, said, didn't do, should have done. You know, telling us how bad we, we are and how awful we are and how we don't deserve to be around God or God's people. And the funny thing is, is just the time that we should be drawing close to the body of Christ is when we're feeling really bad and awful and usually we'd go the other way. We go, nope, I don't want to be around them. Those, those people are all good. They're, gonna, they're not going to like me if, I, if they know who I am. So we run the other way and Satan's laughing. I got them to walk away from what they need. They're not, they're not getting the help they need because they ran away from the help that's going to help them. And just like I said last night, we got to be careful because not everybody in the church is a good person. Okay? So usually when we go to church, we get to run into the Pharisees first who make us feel really bad about who we are judging us before we reach to the people who really love us and they're, that are true Christ-like believers who will encourage us. And Satan's going to make sure that you meet those Pharisees first. You walk in the door and there's going to be somebody who hits you right between the eyes with, with, with their judgment. And you almost will then turn around and go back out the door. Keep going in. Find the people who love you and are the true followers of Christ. The Pharisees are the ones Jesus had trouble with. Every time Jesus did something, the Pharisees went after him and said, you're not doing it the way it's supposed to be done. You know, luckily, he didn't listen to them. He ignored them. He just kept ministering. Now, of course, he is the son of God, and he has a lot more power than we do. But we do need to recognize if we're being attacked by people, they're not God's people. Now, I'm not saying they're not Christians, but they're not acting the way God's people are supposed to act. Does that mean that the ones who are very Christ-like are going to say you're okay and you can keep sinning? Nope. But they're going to love you. And they're going to say it in a kindness and bring you and draw you into where you're supposed to be. 
Because it's very important that we speak the truth in love. All right? We tell people that what they're doing is a sin, but we love them. We encourage them. We say, how can I help you? What can I do to help you walk better? You know, it's the, pro- the process of all the 10-step th- uh, programs. You, you're having a problem? Give me a call. You know, let me help you when you're having a problem. Because I've been there, done that, know what you're going through. Let me help you. And our job in, and in those 10-step problems, they're not saying that what you're doing is okay. It's, they're not saying it's okay for you to go out and fall. But they're saying, I know where you're at. Let's help you get through it. And even if you did fail, let's get you started back on step one again <laughs> and move forward. For us as Christians, luckily, we don't have to go back to step one. Because of the grace of God, we, stop, we fall off step four. He says, no, we're not going back to the beginning again. I still forgive you. We're going back to where you fell from. That's the grace of God. That's his mercy. He doesn't say, okay, you, you really blew it. We're going we to take you all the way back to the, to the beginning. All the way back, all the way back to when you, when, you didn't know in, uh, when you didn't know anything. You were a new Christian and didn't know anything. We're taking you all the way back there. No, that's not what happens. He says, you've repented. You're forgiven. You're forgiven. Does that mean there's no consequence? No, there's always consequence always consequence for what we do wrong but God does not hold it against us for eternity he says you're forgiven we may have pain on this world because of it but he says you're forgiven and this is the beauty of it all he's saying here your sons the sons that you bore the sons you brought up they're not able to help you because you have gone so far down you 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 led them down the wrong path now they're not able to help you this is why we need Christian friends, true Christian friends, not be just friends that say they're Christian, but we need true Christian friends that when we have a hard time, we can call. We can ask for help, knowing that they're going to help. You know, and it's very true that, you know, it's been said that if somebody can count two or three people as true friends, they're, they're very fortunate. Okay? We need to be those type of people. If somebody needs help, they can call us no matter when. I have a handful of people, very small, probably less than five, that I know that I can call no matter what. Middle of the night. Now, will they be extremely happy if I called them at 3 o'clock in the morning? Probably not, but they're such good friends that if I really had a need, they would take the time to talk to me and help me through whatever it is that's going on. We need to be like that to somebody. Who are we discipling? Who are we mentoring? And it's very important. We need to be mentored. Every one of us needs somebody who's our discipler and our teacher. No matter how far along we are, there needs to be somebody that we go to. I don't need it very often, but I have a couple people that if I have questions or needs, I go to them. Now, I have a lot of people that come to me. <laughs> but that's my, that, I love that. I've always loved that. I like being able to answer questions. My kids still do it. Most of them don't as much as, they, as, as other people. Uh, my oldest son, when he comes to me, his questions are ones that I ha- can't answer right away. I have to go find answers for. You know, he's fun. He's, he's fun to ask. My daughter will every once in a while ask me questions that I have to think about. You know, but, you know, who are the people? Identify in your life. Who is the person or people that you are being discipled by? But more importantly, who are you discipling? 
Because it becomes very important that we're discipling. If we're God's children, we need to pour out what we know. Because the most important thing, and I've said before, is no matter how much or how little you know, you know more than somebody. Okay? You know more than somebody. If you've studied the Word of God at all, you know more than somebody else that you can disciple. And for many of us, it might be our children that we start working with. It might just be some friends. It might be the Bible study or something that we're trying to help conduct. You know, there's people that we can talk to and teach. Because when you've learned something, share it with people. Get excited about it and share what God has shown you in the scriptures. You know, I, I am very fortunate. I get to be the pastor, but I've always done this. Okay, I have always done this. Well, you just have to listen to what I learned yesterday. Okay, uh, you know, look at this, look at this. My, I used to drive my family crazy because they say, hey, you, gotta, you guys have to listen to this. And you can just see the eyes glaze over sometimes. Okay, here we go again. Dad's going to steer something out of the Bible, especially when my kids were, you know, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. They were getting to that age where dad's not as smart anymore. <laughs> It's like, okay, what are you going to tell us this time? You know, then they got older again, and they want, the, they want that information back again. Okay. But, you know, do we get that excited about God's word? Do we get so excited that we just got to tell somebody what it is, we're, what we're learning about God's word? Okay. Most people get excited. Their, their football team won, their baseball team won, their, their NASCAR driver won, and they're going to tell, they get all excited and tell everybody. Why aren't we that excited in God's word? God, wow, God, this is what I just can't wait to get back to see, see some of these Christians and tell them what I've learned, what I've seen. I really like to hear those things, especially from new Christians, because you know, one of the great things about new Christians sharing these kind of things is they have a different perspective in it, and sometimes this perspective is right, sometimes it's wrong. But I have been blown away sometimes by what a new Christian sees in the word of God when they share it, I'm going, wow, I have never thought about it that way. But I know that it's true because it matches up with the rest of the word of God I know. If it's not, I will gently correct and say, you know, well, let's help you understand that a little, little clearer. You know, but usually when the Holy Spirit is talking to you, I'm not going to correct it because it is very clear that you know what you're talking, that God has shown you something. And as long as it doesn't violate the rest of scripture, it's good. You know, and it's important we don't want to live in our feelings and everything, but when we're studying God's word and he shows something to us, get excited. Share that with the people. My excitement will come when this church has people coming to church ready to share with, with people what the Bible has said, what they've read in the Bible that week. That is my ultimate goal in this church because that's what I grew up with. I grew up in a church that when people met with other Christians, they were just, hey, I gotta, let me just tell you about what I just read yesterday or this morning or today really excited about what God had shown them in the word. And then when we got together as a church, people were all over the place, not talking about the weather, not talking about their aches and pains, not talking, they're going, I want, to, I want to show you what God is talking about. I want to show you what God showed me. Then you got a pastor up there who's adding to what's being shared. But you know, do we have that much excitement? My goal in this church is that we get excited about God's word. Yes, I want good singing and all of that, but I want us to really be excited about his word. What is he showing us in his word? Are we getting excited? Are we reading his word every day and finding something in his word that really stands out? 
I still, every day when I read through my scriptures, find something new, something exciting, something that I've never seen before. You know, and I get the advantage. I get to share it with everybody. <laughs> yeah. But it is really fun to do that. It is fun to have that done and be able just to start expressing what God is t- showing us. If God's not showing you something in the word, you better look at your relationship with God. Because yeah. you know, something's wrong with your relationship with God. If you can't read his word and get something out of it, it might be time to go to God and say, God, number one, am I yours? <laughs> and if, I'm not, if I am yours, what's wrong with me? Why can't I get anything out of your word from the Holy Spirit? All right? And it is really wonderful. When you get on fire for God, it is a wonderful thing. Because every time you read the word, something's jumping out and it's exciting. Now, what it may be may not be the most exciting thing to somebody else, but as long as it's biblical, that's all that really matters. Okay, because do I expect people, uh, you know, I am long after 48 years in reading the word, I am pretty far past the, the wow at every word I read in the Bible. All right. Well, I'm not saying it's, I'm, I get wows in it, but I don't, I don't have that. Oh, my goodness. It's the first time I've ever read this. Look how great it is. But I do see things often in there that I have never seen before that apply to someplace else. I have a hard time reading through the Bible anymore because I'm going, oh, let's see, let's go back to this story. Yeah. Okay, um, let's go to this story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, trying to make it through two or three chapters in the book is not easy yeah. for me because I'm going, oh, hold it. That refers back to this story. Let me yeah, refresh this story. Okay, that is where my wows are coming from. You know, I'm seeing, oh, I've never noticed that this is, and I've always told you, I have these times when I look at God and say, God, when did you put that verse in the Bible? It's never been there. I've read this so many times. I've never seen this verse, God. When did you put it here? Now, I know that, it, I know that it's there. I know it's always been there, but it's my running joke with God. You know, God, when did, you know, oh, God, that was not here last year when I read this book. You know, uh, you know how did, when did you put, when did you slide these verses in there? Okay, they're not extremely wow verses, but they are something that says, this is for you today. This is for you today. And you'll get to that place. And there's nothing wrong with being at that place. That you all of a sudden get hit. This is for today. This is what I'm going to use for today. It's not new. It's not not even earth shattering. But it's something that says, pay attention to this today. And every time I read the Bible, I get out and I start walking around. And God uses the verses of the Bible that I read that day for that day. Which is why I've told you all, I really recommend reading your Bible first thing in the morning. Because nothing's worse than going through your whole day and you get to the end of the night and you read your verses in the Bible and going, oh, I really needed that verse when I was talking to that person and I needed that verse when I was going through that. Uh, God, I think I better read my Bible in the morning. (laughs) Okay? And I'm just like everybody else. Every once in a while I get up late or I'm running slow and I forget to read my Bible first thing in the morning. And then inevitably I'll be reading it that afternoon or that night and go, oh, I needed these verses all day long. So I don't like to try to miss reading in the morning because it helps prepare your life and makes your day much better. Verse 19 says, these two things are come upon you. Who shall be sorry for you? So he says, you've got some problems coming for you and who's going to be sorry for you? Kind of a sad state of affairs. He's saying, nobody's going to be sorry for you. Um, Desolation and destruction. That doesn't sound good at all. And that's what's coming their way. They're going into captivity. 
Jerusalem is going to be torn down brick by brick completely. We're talking about total destruction, total desolation. And if that wasn't enough, famine and sword. (laughs) Okay, Desolation and destruction is coming your way in one set of the pair, and you're going to be hungry and and the war is going to come your way. Not a very pretty picture. All right? And this is exactly what happened to them. Jerusalem was torn down completely. Not a stone was standing upon another stone on the, on the temple or the wall. Now, when the Romans destroyed Jerusalem, they took everything down. They left no buildings up. They took everything down. And, and these are the things God says. His judgment can be so severe that everything is removed. Okay? Now, in Job's case, everything was removed and it wasn't even by punishment. God has just told Satan, Satan told God, God you know, Job loves you only because you're, you're protecting him and giving him stuff. So God says, okay, take his stuff away and he'll still love me. And Job still loved God. Now he struggled a little bit, but he still loved God. You know, in this case, they're having the same thing happen to them, but it's because of their sin. Now, and this is why it's hard for us. When we look at one another, we look at our own lives, we may not know why somebody's going through something or why we are going through something. Because we don't know. Are we getting judged for it? That was what Job had to do. He had to look at his life and say, okay, God, have I done something wrong? And his attitude was, no, I haven't. His friends' attitudes were, Job, you had to have done something wrong because bad things don't happen to good people. Okay? What a lie. But that's Satan's lie. Bad things happen to to good people. Number one reason, there's no good people. Okay? That's the number one reason bad things happen to us. But number two, God sends suffering our way just so that we will lean on him sometimes. Okay? I'm not leaning on my stuff. I'm not leaning on my health. I'm not leaning on anything else. I'm leaning on God. And sometimes suffering is just for that. To drive me to the arms of God for his help. You know, again, as I've said, when we first suffer, we need to look at our life and say, God, am I sinning? Do I deserve what's coming my way? If I don't have something jump immediately to my life, I go, okay, God, what is the grace that I'm going to live for? I'm going to, I'm going to just hold on to you. One of the very important things is, what do we believe when we enter into suffering? You know, all that suffering has done is to, to help us know what do we believe. I've shared with you one of my favorite verses is for all things work together for good for those who are called according to the purpose of God. When I go through troubles and hard times, I quote that verse back to me. And if somebody was to quote that verse back to me, it would be a comfort to me because I believe that verse. I learned the hard way not to quote that verse to somebody when they don't believe it. Okay? A verse that is comfort if you believe it is great. But if you go into trials and temptation not believing that God is always going to work everything together for good, Romans 8, 28. Uh, if you go into trials without believing Romans 8, 28, somebody telling you that verse is not going to be of any comfort, is not going to be of help. All right? If somebody comes to you and you, somebody that you love has died and they quote to you from Psalms, blessed in the sight of God is the death of his saints because they've gone to heaven, and you don't believe it coming into that, that trial, it is not a comfort. All right? But God will test. When you start really saying, God, I believe what you say in this verse, 
He's going to test you and say, do you really believe it? And he'll put us through a test that says, you know, do you really believe that all things work together when, for good when I've taken away your family, all your stuff, and all your money, and, all, and now your health is gone? Okay, all right, God, yeah, I believe it. I'm struggling with it right now, but I believe it. I don't know how you're going to turn this to good, but uh, turn this for good, but I believe it. Or do I get crushed and say, nope, can't believe this anymore? All of our tests and trials are to say, do you believe what I have told you? When you get saved, many people have trouble. They get all excited. They're wonderful. Everything is good. They're on, God's on their side. They're on God's side. And a week later, when a couple bad things happen in their life, they're saying, gee, am I really saved? Did God really do anything in my life? And all it is is Satan in there saying, let's see if I can get them to forget about you, God. Let's see if they're really going to hold on to the truth. And this is where the trials really come down to. And when we live for God, people are watching. Uh, you know, people are watching us. When we're, watching, when we're walking, people are watching us. Especially if we drastically change our life. People are really watching us and saying, how long is this going to last? How long will it be before you fall back and start doing the stuff that you've done? But, you know, they're still watching us. When we say we're a Christian, they're watching and saying, is there something really different? You say there's something different about in your life about being a Christian. Is there really something different about being a Christian? And they're looking at us. They're watching us. You know, they're going, well, let's see, you've stayed together. You haven't got divorced. You know, the police aren't at your house every weekend trying to break up your wild parties and your drunken, drunken games. You know, and they're watching you. And then when we do fail, they're watching how we respond to that failure. That's very important for us. Sometimes when we respond with repentance and walk right back with God after a failure, that speaks more to people than if they had never seen us fall. Because they go, oh, you don't have to be perfect to be a Christian. I just watched them do something really stupid, and yet they're following God, and they're saying their God has forgiven them. That impresses people. Because the last thing they really want to see is somebody who never fails. Because that just tells them, I can't be like that. I can't, I'm not going to be able to not fail. I'm not going to be one that can do that. So they're looking at us, you know, sometimes failure, and I'm not saying it's good to fail, but I'm just saying sometimes failure speaks a whole lot more to people than walking in pure righteousness and never failing. Because then we can say, God forgave me. You know, look at this. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to walk in perfection. God can still forgive. And that can speak a multitude to people. Verse 20 says, Your sons have fainted. They lie at the head of all the streets as a wild bull in a net. They are full of fury of the Lord and rebuke the rebuke of the Lord. So he says, Your, your, your sons have fainted. <laughs> You know, they've collapsed. They've collapsed at the head of the street is what this literally means. They, they've fallen in the middle of the street. Okay, either fainted or collapsed or fallen in a drunken stupor. It doesn't really, but they have fallen down in disgrace. They are laying in the middle of the street. And if that's no, nothing, he goes, they're, as, they're like a bull that's caught into a, in a net. I've never seen a bull caught into a net, but I'm sure the bull will not be happy caught in a net. 
It's going to thrash and, and fight and, and go with all of its strength. It's probably not the best way to try to catch a bull. <laughs> uh, but, you know, he, that's his picture here. You got that, you know, even if you put a, a, a net over a, a bird, that bird will thrash around until it tires itself out before it gives up. And he goes, they're like the bull. <laughs> they're not just a bird in the net. That, that, that bull is going to fight and struggle and probably get more tangled up. Okay, and this is what happens. If you get caught up in a net and you start thrashing around, you're just going to get more and more tangled. If you want to get out of the net, you have to kind of just calm down and really organize yourself. And even then, it's tough to get out from the net. So this is their picture. They're caught, and they're struggling against that. How many times do we struggle against what God is trying to catch us in? And we fight, and we struggle, and we get ourselves tied up more and more into the net instead of just saying, okay, God, I give up, and let him lift the net off us and take care of us. That's the picture here. They're fighting against what God's trying to do. He's caught them up in a net. They're full of fury at the rebuke of God, the discipline of God. Huh? Can you say what you just said again? No. <laughs> <laughs> listen, we'll listen to the internet, uh, on the internet, or I can, down, I can put it on a CD for you. Usually I cannot repeat what I said, <laughs> unless I read it. <laughs> uh, verse 21, therefore, now we've always said this, and it's an old joke on it, but whenever you see therefore, you're going to ask yourself, what is it there for? All right? Because it's going to refer to something. So when we see therefore, it says, you've been sitting in rebuke, you're fighting against God in things, therefore... Hear now this, you afflicted and drunken, but not with wine. Okay? So he says, oh, you're in this bad state. You're fighting against me. Listen. Listen to me. You've drunk all this fury. You've drunk all this pain. Now listen to me. All right? Thus saith the Lord, the Lord and your God that pleads the cause of his people. You know that God is pleading for us? Jesus is called our advocate. He stands before the Father. When we do something wrong, he's reminding the Father their sin is under the blood. Their sin is under the blood. Don't judge them. I paid the debt. God is there pleading for his people Israel. Even though they don't deserve it, he's there pleading for them. He's pleading his cause. He says, Behold, I have taken out of your hand the cup of trembling, even the dregs of the cup of the fury. You shall no more drink it again. He says, I'm going to take it away from you. God is waiting beside us always to pick us up. He is not one waiting for us to fall and laughing at us. That is what the world does. The world waits for us to fall and so they can laugh at us. I've even seen it. You know, you're, you're out at a drunken party and somebody falls down totally drunk and oblivious and people laugh at them. They don't help them back up. They laugh at them. <laughs> Look what happened to that guy. You know, the, the criminals that are going out and stealing together kind of laugh at each other when one gets caught. 
You know, they were so stupid, they got caught. I didn't get caught, they did, until they get turned on. <laughs> you know, but that's the way the world is. They're all, they're laughing at each other. You know, ha, 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 that one, you know, you're not, as good as, you're not as strong as I am. You're not as good as I am. You didn't get away with this much. God says, I am taking away that cup. Not because I deserve it. I don't deserve it. But he says, I'm taking it away. I'm going to refresh you because of my grace. I am advocating for you. I am taking away the sorrow. When Israel went into captivity, they were told that they were going into captivity into Babylon for 70 years. Why 70 years? Well, if you remember why 70 years, is because they did not let their land stay still every seventh year. So after the period of time, God says, okay, you didn't let your land stay still for, every, for 70 years. It's been this many years. I'm going to say, now you're going to go into captivity and your land's going to stay fallow for, for 70 years. You didn't do it. I'm going to make it happen. God oftentimes will do that with us. He says, you're not resting. God tells us to rest one day out of seven. Now, we're not going to go, you have to rest every Saturday, as the, as, you know, as, which was the law. But we do need to rest. Because if we try to run without rest, we're going to collapse. And God will hasten that collapse if we're not resting once in a while. All right? So we need to take a time when I just say, this is rest. And that means don't work. <laughs> and it's hard. Especially if you enjoy what you're doing. Now, I love Del Tackett in the uh, Truth Project. He said that God gave Adam and Eve the day of rest to stop them from having as much fun as they were having and have one day that they had to pay attention to him. Because can you imagine what it was like to work in the garden that was a perfect garden? No weeds, no, no thorns. All you had to do was plant a hole, pick something in, and then pick it. And eat the fruit. No problems. Fun. And I hear people say that. Well, I'm just having fun with what I'm doing. Well, I understand, but take a day off and focus on God. Quit having fun for one day. Okay? If you're not, if you're not, if you're consider your work fun, and I've had jobs where for periods of time they were fun. I loved my job so much that it was not going to work. It was just, I'm going to go have fun for, the, for 40 hours this week. And, but even those, you have to stop what you're doing for a day and just reflect on God and spend time looking to him. Otherwise, we'll kill ourselves with fun. And it is possible to kill yourself with fun. Because fun can become your God. And you just focus completely on, well, I'm just having fun. I'm enjoying this. I'm enjoying that. I'm just having so much enjoyment that I'm forgetting God. And my enjoyment becomes God. It is easy for us to create idols out of things. We can make an idol out of church. I just love being at church so much, God. No, God, you're there, but I just love being with the people. I love singing the songs. I love the knowledge that I'm getting. You know, and by the way, God, maybe you're in there too once in a while, but you know, but you understand what I'm saying. We could just focus on what's going on so much that we forget God. We can get into an excitement-based life, even if it's godly, and make the excitement part of it in my feelings my God rather than seeking God. We must be careful about these things. And we all know it's easy to make other things God. I can make sports God. I can make my work God. I can make my family God. I can make my hobbies God. 
But one place we have to be careful of is that we don't make items in the church. And those ones are really hard because it looks like we're being spiritual. God, I just love all this Christian music I'm listening to. I just can't get enough of it. And God's saying, well, have you paid any attention to any of the words? And any of no, God, I just think they're really exciting songs. They're wonderful songs. I'm just having fun with the songs. That's why I read the song here. I could never have sung the song because I cannot make it through that song without having tears come to my eyes because of the power of it. You know, there are songs that are that way that are so powerful that if we're really listening to the words, they should impact us. And that's when we know that we're looking at the right part of it. I'm not just listening to the words and getting excited about the music. I'm not, I'm not excited just because I come to church, you know, and making church the whole focus of it. I'm coming to worship God. I'm being around him and worshiping him. He is lifting up. He is building up. He is opening up. And he says, when you do that, when you're focused on me, I'm going to take away my fury. I'm going to take away what's going on. And the last verse in this chapter is verse 23. But, another one of my one of these favorite words, he's changing the topic. But, I will put into the hand of them that afflict you, which they have said in your soul, bow down that we may go over, and you have laid your body as on the ground and as the, and as the street to them that went over. So he says, those people who thought they had victory over you, you've turned to me, I've forgiven you, I'm going to put all of the fury on them. And this whole idea of you've laid down your body on the ground and they've gone over you. In that day and age when you were conquered, the people would put their foot on your neck. You were laid down, you were bowed down, and they put their foot on your neck to show that you were defeated. You know, that was the ultimate humility. You know, that you were so low that you couldn't even defend yourself and they could get you at the weakest part of your, of your life. Joshua 10.24 talks about them being bound by the neck and being stepped on on the neck. Isaiah, uh, Psalm 18.40 does the same thing. In Isaiah, and Isaiah, why do I want to keep going to Isaiah? Psalm 110, verse 1, God tells Jesus that your enemies will be your footstool. He's going to put his, he's going to rest so much that his enemies are underneath his feet. Same picture. Same picture. All right? And he says here, you've been afflicted, you've taken the affliction, but because I am interceding for you, I am going to put your, I'm going to put these afflictions on your enemy, and I'm going to put them under your feet. They thought they had victory, but they don't. Satan thinks he has victory over us, but he doesn't. And it says in the, it says in the scriptures that when, we, when he stands at the white throne judgment to be judged, and he will, that the people, the world, nations are going to look at him and saying, this is the one that caused us to tremble. I can't picture what Satan looks like when he's standing at the white throne judgment. But he's going to be standing up there, little wimpy, no muscles, nothing scary, and, God, and they're going to look at him saying, this is the one we were afraid of? This is the one that caused us to tremble? And we'll, we'll be standing there with Jesus saying, that's him? But the nations will be doing the same thing. This, this is the one that we were afraid of? It, it'll be the Wizard of Oz, you know, when they look around and they look, don't pay attention to the man behind the curtain. <laughs> you know, 
And Satan has put up a facade all these millennia and people fear him. But there's nothing to fear. He is a created being. God doesn't fear Satan. God could unthink him and he'd be gone in an instant if he wanted to. Satan is a created being. He is not God's equal. He really isn't even God's adversary. God has a leash on him and says, okay, you can do this, you can't do this, you can do this, you can't do this, you can do this, you can't do that. Satan is not the adversary of God. God uses him to try his people. And he says, okay, you're cast down, now you can, you can do this, you can do that. And, but he has a leash on him. You can't go this far. And Job's a great book to understand that. Jo uh, you can do this to Job and you can go no further. Okay, well, you took all of his stuff. He said, no, you think, you think that if you take his health, he's going to curse me? All right, go ahead and take his health, but you can't take his life. And God still gave him a lot more leeway than, than we'd want, but he had boundaries. Even if he was allowed to take our life, what would be the reward? We'd go to heaven. All right, so that's really not the end of the world if we could get killed. Now our family and friends and everybody might, will suffer by missing us. But, you know, at the same time, true Christians are going to look at it and say, that person's in heaven. They've been released. Um, you know, there, was a, there was a pastor one time who was asked to pray for somebody that was terminally ill. He says, okay. They started praying, Lord, I hope you take this person home. No, that's not for the prayer. They go, well, that would be your healing. <laughs> that's your ultimate healing. You know, but, you know, we have to look at this. What is our true understanding of God? This is not our home. All right? And I'm glad it's not my home. You know, I enjoy what God gives me on this world, but I am glad this is not my home. There's a lot of pain. There's a lot of suffering. There's a lot of headaches. And I'm looking forward to being in heaven. Even, if, even when there's not pain, there's a lot of craziness. I, the greatest thing I'm looking forward to in heaven is not forgetting stuff. Okay? I have forgotten more of the Bible than most people know, and it drives me nuts when I try to remember something and I can't remember it, and I know that I know it. I'm looking forward to getting to heaven and having him teach me and say, all right, I've got this for eternity. I am never going to forget this because now I know it. You know, but you know, what is, what is so great is while God has us on this world, he's going to give us the grace to get through whatever we have to go through. He's going to give us the words we need to speak to people if we will just listen to him. He will give us the strength to minister to people when they need to be ministered to. That is the good news about being on this world, that God is in charge. He's going to keep us. We're going to end here. Lord, just thank you for this evening. We thank you for how much you love and care for us. Lord, show us what you would want us to see. Help us to live for you. Help us to walk with you. Help us to see that you are in all things that happen to us. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.